study in the book of Romans, in the section of Romans, uh, which comes, really starts in chapter 12, and it's about being renewed. It's from that word, that Greek word, metamorpho, or metamorphosis, as we know it from Romans chapter 12, where Paul says, do not be conformed to this world, but be what? Transformed by the renewing of your mind. Man, that's, that was a hearty, that was a hearty response. That was great. That, that kind of tees up our, our membership class today. Transformed. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what the will of God is. That which is perfect. Finished. There's a work that God is doing. There's a work that God has done on the cross through His Son Jesus. It is the finished work of Christ on the cross. And there's, there continues to be a work that God does in you and through you as you live the Christian life. As you walk the journey of faith. So that's what we've been talking about. What does it look like to be renewed? And today, uh, we're going to discover that it's, it's not only a challenge for those who are uh, what the Bible would call weak in the faith, but there are also challenges for the strong. To, so today's text is going to show us that there's a real challenge here in Scripture today for those of you in the room and those Christians in the world today who consider themselves and who, by all means, should be considered strong Christians. People who are strong in the faith. And so today, I think, is going to be a special challenge for you if you are strong in the faith. And I hope that you grow from this. And that really is the, the thesis for today's message, is that, that growth and strength are not co-equal because you're a strong Christian does not mean that you're a growing Christian now it should mean that but the difference is this what we discover today in Romans chapter 15 is that there are believers in the church whose faith is very strong that is if you rewind to the very beginning of the book where Paul says in Romans 1 and 2 when he talks about the gospel and he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, the good news. I'm not ashamed of it because it is the power of God unto salvation. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. Now if you remember, I've shared this several months ago when we were, when we were in Romans 1 and 2. This was a passage that actually transformed the life of of a man named Martin Luther. As a matter of fact, October the 31st, many people will be celebrating All Hallows Eve or Halloween or whatever. It always amazes me how into it people get with Halloween. Some of you like, that's your jam. You love Halloween. You know, when I was a kid, I remember we had a festival at my school when I was elementary school and me and my buddies, I mean, we had like a contest. Like who could do the craziest makeup on their face and that was back in the Freddy Krueger days. Anybody remember Freddy Krueger? Yeah, all these kids were dressing up as Freddy Krueger. And, and, uh, but now as an adult, I drive through my neighborhood and I see like, they're like fake bodies laying in yards. Caution tape everywhere. There's a guy on our street with like shovels around a dead body that's wrapped in a body bag. And I'm going, okay. <laughs> that's a little too far. But anyway. Martin Luther... About 501 years ago, or 500, no, 504 years ago, something like that, it became very popular 
because he nailed 95 theses to the doors of the church in Wittenberg. And, and his complaint was that the, the established church, the Roman Catholic Church, which was the church, other than the Eastern Orthodox Church at the time, the church in the West, had misunderstood, according to Luther, the doctrine of justification. And it was when he was reading Romans chapters 1 and 2, when he came across, it was chapter 1, verse 16 and 17, I believe, where he, he discovered, wait a minute, I've always, I've always understood the righteousness of God that justifies is actually the righteousness that God requires from me. And for the very first time, he's studying his, his Greek text in the Greek, and he later translates it to German so that German speakers can also understand what the original Greek meaning was. And that was that the righteousness that actually saves is not yours. And it's not mine. It's actually God's. That He provides. He provides the righteousness that we need through Jesus. Jesus is the pure and spotless Lamb of God who is pure and righteous. And so when he comes to Romans 1 and he reads this about the justification, the way that we're justified, it's by faith in the righteous one. And so in the early church, there are those who were, who were coming out of Judaism and, they, and, they, and like Paul, they understood this and it blew them away. Absolutely blew them away. A total metamorphosis of thinking about the law, about righteousness, about justification, about all these things. God had completely turned over the tables in their mind and their heart. And now they are, they are strong in the faith because they understand justification in a completely new way. And it turns their life upside down. And so now, when they come to the law, they, they, say, they say like Paul in Romans 7, I agree with the law. I agree that, that what the law says is sin, that is sin. But I come to the conclusion that sin dwells within me, the one who wishes to do good. And that's all I am, is I'm a, I'm a wisher at the end of the day. I wish I could do the good, but I, I don't do the good. I see sin dwells in me. And they come to that same conclusion that Paul does, that they must have a Savior. And so when we come to Romans chapter 15... Paul is saying there's, there's some of you who are stronger in the faith. That means you understand more than others in the Christian community. You understand that your righteousness is all Jesus. Your trust is fully placed in Him. You are a strong Christian. Your faith, your foundation is solid. Like the old hymn says, My faith is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. That, is, that communicates strength to a Christian. If, if, if you are clear on that, and that is, your, that is your foundation, oh, what a strong foundation it is. But don't mistake a strong foundation for a growing vine, a growing tree. That's what Paul is saying today. So starting in verse 1, we're going to read all the way through verse 13. Follow along in your copy of the Scriptures with me. Now we who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not just please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to his edification. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached thee fell upon me. For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction 
that through perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another, according to Christ Jesus. That with one accord you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wherefore, accept one another, just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. For I say that Christ has become a servant to the circumcision on behalf of the truth of God to confirm the promises given to the fathers and for the Gentiles to glorify God for his mercy as it is written. Therefore I will give praise to thee among the Gentiles and I will sing to thy name. And again he says rejoice O Gentiles with his people. And again Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples praise Him. And again, Isaiah says, there shall come the root of Jesse. And he who arises to rule over the Gentiles, in him shall the Gentiles hope. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. May God bless the reading of his word this morning. And if you would permit me, I'm going to take a seat on this stool as we jump into the text. You can be a, you can be a Christian who is confident in your faith and have a solid foundation. But you can also at the same time you can be spiritually weak. You can be a member of the body of Christ, a member of the church that is weak in terms of your connection to the community. Strong Christians do not make a strong church. You would think that. And if you took a, a, a lot of individuals who are strong in their faith, who have a solid foundation, who would win at every turn in Bible drill or something like that, you would think if you, if you brought a group of those all-stars together into a community of faith that the community would be strong and healthy, but that's not the case. And we learn that from this passage today. So it behooves us this morning, especially if you're someone who's strong in the faith and your foundation is firm upon Jesus Christ, it behooves you this morning to really listen to what the Lord is saying in this passage. Because it's very, very important. Because there's more to the bond of unity in the body of Christ. There's more to it than strong members. He says here in verse 1, We who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not just please ourselves. He's talking in terms of the Christian community. Now we talked about the strong and the weak last week. That is, when, we talk about, when he's talking about strong people, he's meaning those who have come out of Judaism but have firm foundation on Christ and who he is and who are like, man, all these folks who are getting bent out of shape about meat, sacrifice to idols and... And, and festival days and all these things that we used to celebrate ceremonially back in the Old Testament. These folks are still worried about that stuff. They're so weak. They're so weak. Come on guys, get up to speed, right? It doesn't matter 
what clothes you wear, what music you listen to, what you eat, what days you celebrate. You celebrate Halloween, do you not celebrate Halloween, right? These things don't matter. Get over it. This, is, this has not changed, has it? In, in 2,000 years, the church still has the same struggles. It's the struggle between two things. I'll give you the technical words for them. One of them you're going to be familiar with. The other one you might not be so. But these two, these two polar ends of the spectrum. One is legalism. You're familiar with that one. We use that even today in our normal language. Don't be legalistic. Right? Well, Christians don't touch alcohol. Well, don't be, don't be legalistic. Right? Or hey, you got you to... Gotta, you know, dress this way if you're going to be a Christian. Don't be legalistic. We use legalism a lot. The other one is antinomianism. And it comes from the word namos in the Greek, which means law. Every time you see Paul mention the word law in the book of Romans, it's the Greek word namos. So anti-namos, it means anti-law. So on one end, you would have, you'd have believers who were legalistic in the way that they think, right? And then others who were antinomian in the way that they think. The legalists would say, would, would say, well, there, there are rules. Do not touch, do not handle, do not taste. Paul says later on, he says, don't subject yourself to those rules. Okay, you're free in the gospel. But also, don't use your freedom in the gospel as a covering veil to do evil things. To cause brothers and sisters to stumble. To create scandal. So you have legalism. Which are people who are putting stumbling blocks of legality in front of people and then the antinomians who also put stumbling blocks in the, in the way of other believers on their journey of faith because of their relaxed living. They don't care about anybody else's convictions. All they care is about what they can get away with with gospel freedom. And if somebody stumbles, it's their problem. Right? So these are the two polar ends of the spectrum that that God is addressing here in this passage. He says in verse 2. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good. To his edification. That is the gospel gives you freedom. But you should be thinking about other people. Not just yourself. Certainly not just pleasing yourself. People make their choices of what church to attend. Or what church to belong to based upon their own pleasures. Did you know that? Well, I really like the pastor. I really like the, uh, the worship style, the worship music. My kids really like the, the kids ministry or my youth or whatever. We really like that. I am pleased. I like the way that I feel when I go home when church lets out. Paul says, you're not to think that way about the believing community. That's the way you think outside of the church. That's the way consumers think about what restaurant they, they frequent. You're not to think that way about your brothers and sisters in Christ. You're to think of them above yourselves. He calls this having the mind of Jesus. Having the mind of Christ. In verse 3, For even Christ did not please himself, and then he quotes a, a, a passage of scripture from the Old Testament, Psalm 69, 7 and 9 and 20. Even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached thee fell upon me. Now I want you to see 
what God is doing, what the Holy Spirit is doing through the Apostle Paul as he gets into this exchange with these strong members of the church. He says in verse 4, For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction that through perseverance and the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. Now what is he doing here? He's talking to strong Christians who've come out of Judaism who have faith in Jesus and who also know that the law of God in the Old Testament is no longer binding. The ceremonial law is no longer binding. And so there's this tendency to look at the Old Testament, and there still is today among Christians, to look at the Old Testament and say, nah, it's really not profitable, it's really not relevant to us as Christians. Why? Because our faith is placed in Jesus, he's our foundation, the old foundation is no longer, no longer active. Paul takes the strong Christian who thinks, whew, free in Christ. You got a new chapter here, a new covenant. He takes them back. He takes us back to the Old Testament. And he doesn't take us back to Old Testament ceremonial law or anything from Leviticus or anything like that. But he quotes the psalm and he talks about Jesus from the Old Testament. Even Christ did not please himself. And then he goes to the Old Testament and says, The reproaches of those who reproached thee fell upon me. And then he says in verse 4, Whatever was written in earlier times, he doesn't say is null and void. He, said it's, he doesn't say it's not helpful for the church. We need to press on. We need to get past these old traditions. No. He says, whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction. Who's our? The church. The church. All of us. Whatever was written before was written for all of us. The strong, the weak. Every single one of us. Now I want you to see what he does next. He first says that Christ fulfills the scriptures, yes. But then in verse 4 and 5, he tells how it is that we as the church, strong and weak, how we are to grow together, because it's not about us growing individually, it's about us growing together. How do we become more unified as we grow and mature in Christ? Now listen to what he says in verse 4. That through perseverance... And the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Okay? Perseverance and encouragement comes from the scriptures, he says. Okay? And from the scriptures, he means the Old Testament. Verse 5. Now listen to this. He shifts gears in verse 5. He says, now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement, wait a minute. Paul, I thought perseverance and encouragement comes from the Scripture. He would say, yes, it does. And the Scripture is from God. God gives perseverance and encouragement and all these other things. How? When His people are in what? The Word of God. That's the way that it happens. It's free. It's freely given to us in His Word. 
And so notice what he says. Now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus. See how it works? God gives these things. He gives perseverance. He gives encouragement. By the scriptures, because he gives us the scriptures, we are not to carve out parts of the scripture and say, this part matters more than this part. It's all God communicating to you and to me. But this is where we have to meet, folks. The strong and the weak, this is where we have to meet. We have to meet at the foot of the cross. Because we all need Christ. We have to meet at the foot of the cross. This is why he says in verse 6, that with one accord, you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says in verse 5, with one another according to Christ Jesus, Paul brings it all back. He starts in the Old Testament passage. He brings it to God the Father, to Jesus Christ the Son, and it all culminates at the cross. We're all equal at the foot of the cross. Christ is the key. Christ is the key. There are some times that the strong will only focus upon the scriptures as being the key. It's the rule book. It's the manual. It's tried and true. It's fully trustworthy. It's fully inerrant. We believe it. Right? We go to the scripture. But let me remind you. Turn in your Bibles to John chapter 5. Just hold your place there. Turn a few pages over to John chapter 5. I want you to see this. In John 5, there are some strong religious people, strong in the Scriptures, strong in their faith in God. They knew, or at least thought they knew, the God of the Old Testament. And Jesus says to them, in verse 39, this is in John 5, 39, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is these that bear witness of me. The scriptures, all of them, bear witness of Christ. So he says in verse 7, Wherefore, accept one another in the same way that Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. So a New Testament community, a church, is strengthened by strong believers. By people who are firmly fixed on the foundation of Jesus Christ. But that strength cannot be individualistic or unilateral. It has to reach across and grab hands with the weak and say, let's go to the cross. Let's open up the word of God together. Let's grow together. Not, you need to catch up with me. You need to get to where we are and be strong where we are so we can all get along and run 
in the same way. No, we, we all have to link hands and arms at the foot of the cross because Jesus died and he loves the strong and the weak. All of us. But Jesus Christ is the key. And then I love the last part and then we'll close in just a moment. He explains, verse 8 through 13, he, he just emphasizes. He says, For I say that Christ has become a servant to the circumcision. Who, who are they? Yeah, the Jews. Christ has become a servant to the circumcision. On behalf of the truth of God to confirm the promises given to the Father. What is he talking about there in verse 8? He's talking about Scripture. Promises made. Promises made. Jesus didn't say to the, to the circumcision, you're all a bunch of fools. You completely missed it. He continued to, to invite them to believe in him. He became a servant to the circumcision. Why? Because of the scripture, because of the promises made, because of what the Father had promised. But verse 9 he says, and for the Gentiles. The nations. To glorify God for his mercy. Do you see verse 8 and 9? The two words that are used there. Promises and mercy. They go to the heart of God. God made promises to Old Testament saints. He made promises that he would send a savior. That he would send a Messiah. Jesus is the fulfillment of of God's promise, Jesus is the promise of God. And Jesus is the mercy of God. He's the mercy of God to a people typified in that son who left home and squandered everything. The parable of the prodigal son. That prodigal son who is out there on his own has nothing. He's representative of the Gentiles, the nation. And God is out on the road, looking into the distance, waiting and inviting and beckoning the Gentiles to come in. If they would only repent and call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He extends that invitation today to anyone who will believe. To all who will believe. It doesn't matter if you think you're strong or you're weak. It doesn't matter what your experiences are in church or religion or any of those things. God invites people today. He's doing that through you and through us as the church. And if you're here today and you don't, don't know Christ and you don't know the salvation that he gives, God extends that invitation to you this morning to believe in Christ, to receive him as your Lord and Savior. The hope of salvation to the Gentiles to those who have no previous religious experience. To those who have no concept of God. To those who are polytheists and believe in many gods. God invites you to be saved. Jesus is the key. And then he gives several different examples. Of the way that God actually said... In the Old Testament, that he was going to do what he's doing in the New Testament. 
shares all these passages of scriptures. Here you go. He says to the Gentiles, I'm going to do this. To the Gentiles, I invite you to come here. So what does this tell us? Let's wrap it up. What does it mean for the strong to grow? Is it automatic? Is all you need in your walk, in your journey with Christ, is all you need to be strong? Is that it? Do you need more Bible knowledge? Do you need more Christian experience? Sometimes, and I'm guilty of this, sometimes it's the way we communicate. Christian growth is doctrinal strength only. Christian integrity. Have you been tested? How strong are you as a Christian? But it's very clear, I hope, from the New Testament that the Christian community should always be composed of the strong and the weak. And that we should be helping each other. That we should be strengthening each other. That we should be growing together. That we should be unified. So what we need as a church as we embrace this is to not put barriers between the strong and the weak. To not cultivate attitudes of strength and weakness and, and, and commit the same errors that the New Testament church was doing sometimes during this period. And that is to say, I'm strong, I'm going to stick with the strong. And the weak, you need to come to our level and then we can come together. We as a church body need to meet regularly at the foot of the cross and know that it's Jesus that matters. And if we ever create a false dichotomy between what the scripture says and who Jesus is, we've missed it. Because they're together. So I want to encourage you and challenge you this morning. In thinking about these two polarizing concepts of legalism and being antinomian, where do you find yourself? If you were to place yourself on that scale this morning, where do you think you lean? Do you lean more towards the legalism side or more towards freedom on steroids, antinomianism side? It's a constant challenge for me. It's a constant tension. Where do you lean? Do you have great pride in your strength and think that there's nothing new for you there's no new growth for you or does this challenge you to think differently about what it means to grow as a Christian what do you need to do today to change Is God calling you to shift your thinking a little bit? I hope He is. I know I need it. But if we remember, as individual believers and as a church family, if we can remember that we all need Christ, and I know that sounds like a platitude, but if we can remember that we all need Christ and that we're all the same at the foot of the cross, and that all of God's word is about Jesus. We can come together. 
and be a better church for it as we grow. And we can truly, truly grow. It's amazing today the different metrics for church growth. Someone once said it's, it's all about numbers, nickels, and noses or something like that. People talk about if the church is growing, they'll look at attendance numbers, some will boil it down to spiritual things. Well, if a church is growing, it's doing X, Y, and Z. I love this challenge from God's Word because it pushes against our way of thinking and my way of thinking of what church growth is. If we're a growing church, it means that all of us, regardless of where we are in our faith journey, we are all growing closer in relationship to Christ. And if you're a strong Christian and your faith in the justification of Christ the cross is strong, then what growth means for you is that you're becoming more humble and more loving to other believers who are not as maybe theologically strong as you are. That's what Christian growth looks like for you. If you're weak, growth for you is a challenge because sometimes what you want to do, if you feel like you're weak in the faith, is you're like, I I don't like those strong people, they're jerks. They look down their noses and I'm just kind of tired of meeting around with them. Have mercy. Have mercy on your brothers and sisters. Don't stop gathering together. All of these challenges that we see here that the New Testament church faced led Paul to say in the book of Hebrews, don't forsake the gathering of yourselves together as is the habit of some. There are so many reasons for for believers to decide, I've had enough. It's too challenging. Those people aren't like me. We're different in so many ways. Don't give up. Don't give up. Dig deep. What does God want you to do? Love your brothers and sisters in Christ, whether they're strong or they're weak. And we will grow. Amen.